How many parents do we have here? Parents? All right. How many parents that have boys? Boys, yes. Boys are awesome. Um, I have two boys. I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old boy. And uh, from the moment I found out that I was having a boy, all I could think about was this. It was the day that I could play catch. And I, and I went out and I bought this, like, baby ball, right? And, and I couldn't wait for that kid to be born so that one day I can play catch with him so I could throw this ball. And I remember when Caleb, my first son, um, turned like one and he started like walking around the house. I'm like, yes, where's that ball? Where's that ball? And I'm looking, you know, because when you have a baby, they give you a bunch of junk. And so I, I found the ball and I'm calling Caleb. Caleb, come here. Come here, buddy. Let's play catch. And he came to me and, and babies, every time you call them and you have something in your hand, they think it's food. Right. And so I brought it and he, he stands there. I mean, just just wait right there. And, and I'm thinking like it's natural. And I throw the ball towards him and he just stands there and it like hits him in the face, you know, and like drools coming down his face. I'm thinking, oh, man. Then he picks up the ball. I think he's going to throw it back at me. I'm like, oh, maybe he's not a catcher. He's a pitcher. And then he puts it in his mouth and begins to chew it and walks away. And, and all I wanted to do was make sure that that my my kid would one day both of my sons, they, they'd know how to dribble a basketball. You know, they'd know how to catch a, a football. They'd know how to make a, a basket or, or kick a soccer ball. I, I, I'm really passionate about that. I still am. And, and the reason is this. When I was growing up as a kid, I really wasn't that good at sports. And I know this may surprise some of you. Right? That's not a joke. You were supposed to laugh like two minutes ago when I said a joke. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I, you know, I just want to make sure that, that my kids are, are good at sports. And here's the reason. Um, it's the reason why I have not just one ball up here, but two. And uh, it's because a kickball changed my life. All right? It literally did. I was in seventh grade, and I was actually my first year in this school. Um, back in the days, middle school started at seventh grade, right? We called it junior high. And so I went from sixth grade, graduated sixth grade, with a couple of my friends. We went to this new school. And uh, the majority of the people there, we didn't even know. And, and so it was like a little cluster of us coming to this new school. And it's scary starting school for anyone, new school, college, whatever. The first day is always the scariest day. And here we are, the first day of school, and, and everybody's bigger than me. The teachers don't know me. The kids that have been there for a while kind of look at you with dirty looks, or at least you think they, they're looking you uh, with dirty looks. And, and then finally I find out, I get my schedule, that I have P.E. and lunch like back-to-back, my two favorite classes. Right. P.E. and lunch. And so I get to P.E. and uh, the coach is super cool, introduces himself. And then he says, today we're going to play kickball. And I'm like, yes, kickball's easy. You know, there's not much, much to it. Probably why he picked it for the first day. And then he's like, all right, I need two captains. And he picks a kid I've never seen before. And then he picks my buddy, the kid that was standing next to me, my friend from sixth grade. And I'm thinking like, yes, he's going to pick me. He, I'm, I'm probably going to be the first one picked. I was like positive I would be the first one picked at this uh for this game and so the other guy picks first and he picks and and uh and i'm thinking i'm next for sure i'm next and and then uh my friend uh it's his turn to pick and and i'm looking at him like i know you're gonna pick me dude and he goes and he picks somebody else and then i'm thinking like maybe he picked someone else because it's from another school just to get in with the with the with the new with the new kids or the old kids and and, uh, and so then it's the other guy's turn to pick, and I'm like, I don't want him to pick me. I want to be on my friend's team. So I hide behind a group of girls, right? So he doesn't pick me. And then it's my friend's turn again, and I just begin to walk towards him. I'm walking towards him because I'm like, for sure it's going to be me. And he kind of looks around me and goes, you, you're with me. And he picks somebody else. And I got mad, and I look at him. I'm like, bro, what's up, man? I'm your boy from sixth grade, remember? And 
he like pretended for a moment that he didn't even know who I was. All right? And this happened over and over and over again. They picked everybody. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be the last one that gets picked. And I was right. There was two people left, a four-foot girl and me. And I'm thinking, she's going to get the sympathy vote. You know, and I'm going to get stuck being last. And I'm like dreading this moment. And I was right. The girl got the sympathy vote. My friend picked uh, her. And then the other guy just looks at me. He didn't even pick me. He said, I guess you're with me. Right? And, uh, and I walked towards him. And let me tell you something. I was so embarrassed. I felt like a complete loser. All right? I felt, I'm like, man, this is terrible. This is my, my legacy. I've begun it. And, and it's like failing. It's like being picked last. And I remember walking through the school that day and, and being so embarrassed and thinking that everybody thought I was a loser. That the entire school, because it's a private school, from like nursery through 12th grade knew that I was the loser that got picked last. I, I just thought that that's what was happening in my life. And that happens to us sometimes when, when things are going bad, we think that everybody knows about it. Right? And I walked into lunch right after PE and I was looking forward to having my mac and cheese and my Cheetos and stuff. And I walk in and, and it felt like a movie, like slow motion, like everybody was looking at me and like mocking me. And I'm walking through with my head down and, and, and I felt like a complete idiot. And here's the thing. It sucks being last. It sucks feeling like you don't matter, like no one cares about you. It sucks feeling like, like, you know, you are the worst person in the school or the worst person in the team or at work. And here's the thing. At one point or another in our life, we've all struggled with this feeling. We've all struggled with the feeling that maybe we're not good enough. And maybe you identified with my story. In middle school or in high school, you didn't make the team. You didn't make the cut. Or maybe for you, it's something like this. Your parents told you, you're never going to amount to anything or you're good for nothing. I remember talking to a teenage girl one day with tears in her eyes telling me that her father had told her that she was ugly. And I remember the pain in her heart. Maybe for one of you, your teacher told you, hey, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, just quit. I mean, become like like someone who hands out things at Publix or, or picks up carts. That's your future. That is what you are going to be. I remember talking to a Puerto Rican. And no, this is not a Puerto Rican joke. It's a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's Puerto Rican, who grew up in the Midwest, okay, where there's very few Hispanics. And he grew, he grew up in an area where, where he was probably like the only one that wasn't like everybody else. And he remembered being an outcast. He remembered the feeling that he was not good enough. He told me stories that fathers told their daughters, don't talk to him. If I find out that you like him, you're going to be in big trouble. And here's the thing. This wasn't just something that affected him as a kid. This is something that has followed him into his adult life. You wouldn't believe the insecurities that as adults we are experiencing, how tied they are to our childhood, how tied they are to the time that we maybe we spent in high school or middle school. To be specific, maybe there are circumstances in your life, conversations, arguments, things that you witness, things that people said to you, a divorce, a failing grade, getting turned down by a guy or a girl. I meet singles and I talk to singles that they are so terrified of being rejected that they're now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and, and they don't even go out on dates because they can't even fathom the thought of a woman or a guy turning them down. And they rather live their entire life by themselves, going to movies by themselves, to restaurants by themselves, because they can't imagine what it would feel like again for their heart to be broken and for them to be rejected. 
So many people feel that God can't use them. Maybe you're here today and you're like, there's no way that God can use me because of a mistake that I made. Maybe your past is haunting you. It's holding you back. And here's the thing. We believe the lies that people have told us. We've convinced ourselves that greatness is something that we will never attain because of the baggage that we have or the things that we've done or or because of our, our background. And here's the thing. I got good news for you today. God wants to set you free from your past. God wants to give you the victory. God wants you to enjoy a new life. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. If you open your Bibles with me to the book of Judges, chapter 11. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah, Gilead's wife, now bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Jephthah was a mighty man of valor, but... And this is not just a regular but. This is a big but. A huge but. Okay? He was the son of a harlot. He was the son of a prostitute. Jephthah was a child of shame. His father Gilead had chosen to sow his wild oats. And through this fling, this innocent child is now brought into the world. Jephthah had no choice in the life which he had. And the day he was born, the first eyes that looked at him were the eyes of an unclean woman. The first lips that ever kissed him were the same lips that kissed countless of men. And God knows what else those lips touched. His mother was a professional outcast. All the men in the city, they knew who she was. And I'm sure when she walked down the street with a belly, they're thinking, and they were quoting Shaggy, saying, it wasn't me. Or at least they were hoping that it wasn't their Baby, see, Jephthah's birth announcement was not a moment of joy. People did not react the same way that probably you react when your friends tell you, hey, my wife and I are having a baby, right? I mean, how would you react if one of your good friends says, hey, my wife and I are having a baby? Can you show me? What will you do? All right, I'm going to prove it to you. I have an announcement to make. My wife and I are having our third baby. Congratulations, honey, and my family that's here and friends. Yeah, we're having our third baby. We don't know yet if it's a boy or a girl. And uh, I grew up with six sisters, so you can guess what I'm hoping for. Um, And, like, I think most of them are here. Um, See, when Gilead went to his family and told them, Hey, by the way, we're having a baby. And it's not with my wife. It's with a prostitute. I'm sure they didn't go, Yes! Right? I'm sure they didn't scream as loud as some of you screamed when I said that Leilani and I were having our third baby, right? No, this was a moment of sadness. This was a moment that brought shame. This kid grew up being teased. As a little boy, he was probably called terrible things that he was probably too young to understand. This title, mighty man of valor, was probably not something that he earned or that his father taught him to be. This is something that he had to become because of the way that he had to defend himself and maybe defend his mom when people were making fun of him because of the situation that he was in. 
And even though that it wasn't uncommon in these times for men to have children with other women and with prostitutes, and so it wasn't uncommon. It was a super serious situation. Because in the time of the judges, success, financial stability, your status was not something that you can earn by being studious. It was something that you were born into. See, nowadays, you're, if, you know, if you're determined, if you're focused, if you go to school, if you're a hard worker, it doesn't matter if your mom's a crack addict or a prostitute. It doesn't matter of, of any of that stuff does not matter. You can still make something of yourself. If you're a hard worker, it may not be easy. It may be tough, but you can still make something of yourself. In Jephthah's days, you were stuck. However, his father Gilead did something that was also uncommon. He claimed his son, raised his son in his home. And apparently around the time that he died, his half-brothers, his quote-unquote legitimate brothers said, You son of a prostitute, get out of our house. And some of you probably finished that sentence with another word. And now you know where that derogatory term comes from, where the shame comes from. Get out of our house. Leave everything that you've ever known. Leave at once. You're not going to take what belongs to us. See, in, in those times, there were actually laws that protected the children of the least favored wife. However, it didn't protect the kids that were born to prostitutes. See, Jephthah was denied an inheritance, kicked out of his home, separated from his family, from his countrymen. Jephthah had to fend for himself. And other roughnecks heard about him. And you know what they did? They went and they followed him. They heard that he had been kicked out. And they went and they followed him. And you know what happened in the land of Tob? This little gang developed. Jephthah was followed by a band of hoodlums. And the Jewish historian Josephus says that Jephthah's gang actually raided Israel's enemies and carried off plunder. And interestingly, this is the same thing that David did when Saul kicks David out of the kingdom. See, driven by force... From his home, he at least defended and befriended his own people, attacking their enemies. And now word of Jephthah, word of Jephthah's victories gets back to Gilead, which is about 80 80 miles away. And you're thinking 80 miles in a car, it's about an hour if you go 80 miles an hour and break the law. But in these days, this was a very far distance for news to travel. And it got to them and they're like, we need this guy. And let's continue reading in verse 4. It says this, it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went out to get Jephthah in the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us. If we do not do according to your words, then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. See, this passage of scripture reminds me of something that happened to me when I was in about 10th grade. I had this friend named Tarrito 
And you're thinking, like, Tarrito, that's a terrible name to name your child. Well, his parents didn't name him that. We named him that. And the reason we named him Tarrito was because uh, Tarrito, for those of you that don't speak Spanish, is Little Horn, right? The reason we named him Little Horn was because next to his ear, he had this, like, pointy piece of flesh, right? And so uh, he called, you know, we called him Tarrito. And it was like this little pointy thing on the side of his ear. And, and our entire like, life that we hung out with him, we called him Tarrito. And uh, Tarrito was actually one of the cool kids because he had failed like two or three times. So in like ninth grade, he already had a car, right? And so now in 10th grade, I don't know if he failed because of all the mocking that we did. And so I, I do feel bad about that. But um, nevertheless, in, in 10th grade, we're in 10th grade, and it was towards the end of the week, and one of our buddies is like, why don't we go fishing? And we're like, yeah, let's go fishing. And then another kid's like, oh, I went fishing in the Seven Mile Bridge. Let's go fishing, night fishing in the Seven Mile Bridge. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And so Saturday comes around, and uh, we get dropped off in Tarrito's house, and it's getting kind of dark, and we start putting stuff in his car. And let me tell you something about Tarrito's car. His parents owned a junkyard, right? And so his car is something that he put together from the junk in his dad's yard, right? It's a big junkyard, so, I mean, it was a working car. And here we're going to go all the way to the Seven Mile Bridge from Hialeah, right? But we're putting stuff in his trunk, and his trunk is not like our trunk with, like, rug lining it and stuff like that. No, no, it's like bare metal. And we're putting stuff in there, and as I'm putting stuff in there, I notice he doesn't have a spare tire. And I'm like, Tarrito, you don't have a spare tire, bro. What are we going to do? He goes, ah, we don't need a spare tire. And I'm like, what? Who told you that? He's like, yeah, people, people don't get spare, uh, flats all the time. You know, that's just an exaggeration. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, we're traveling. You know, we need a spare tire. Goes, we don't need a spare tire. He's like, here's the thing. I can't fit my boom box, my amp, our fishing gear, and the cooler if we have a spare tire. Right? And I'm like, all right, that makes sense. And so I get in the car with him. I don't know who was crazier, me or Tarrito. Right? And so we're driving over there, and his car, you can imagine, with bass and the fact that he had put this thing together, it's like rattling. So I pass out in the back seat, right? And we're driving. And as we're getting down in Florida City, right, off the turnpike, guess what happens? He gets a flat tire. And I wake up, boom, boom. And, we're, and I'm like, dude, I told you, man, we needed a, we needed a spare. What are we going to do? And he's like, don't worry about it. And so we pull into a gas station. I was pulling into the gas station. I'm like, what are you going to do? I'm like, we can't call home. It's about 1130. This is like 1994. Okay, no cell phones. So our parents didn't hear, didn't expect to hear from us until, you know, we were on our way back like the next morning or something. They figured if something happened to us, they'd get a call. Okay, nowadays you guys want your kids to call you when they go to the neighbor's house, right? And so we're going and, and I'm like, I can't call home. If I call home, my parents are going to have a heart attack. They're going to think that one of us is dead. All right. And so he's like, don't worry about it. So Tarrito starts walking up to everybody in the gas station and he's trying. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, he's trying to buy their spare tire. And I'm like, do you realize that not every car is the same, that there's no way that you could just grab a random spare tire and put it on your car? He goes, I know that, man. I know that. I'll make it work. And finally, like two hours later, now it's about one o'clock in the morning. Tarrito, I see Tarrito going for his wallet and giving this guy like 60 bucks. And this guy must have been crazier than all of us sells him his spare tire for 60 bucks. I see Tarrito walking with this huge tire, and I'm like, bro, your car, that thing's not going to fit. He goes, I'll make it fit. It has the, the right amount of holes in it. And so we cram this tire into the car. Now the tire is like one leg up, you know what I mean? And it's like we're cruising with this thing. And, and imagine what we did, you know, a 10th grader and a guy that should have graduated from high school already. Um, we didn't go back home. We didn't sleep in the car, wait till the morning and call our parents. No, we drove all the way 
to the seven mile bridge and went fishing. And you know what? This whole spare tire thing, this is what's happening in Gilead. These guys, they told Jephthah, we don't need you. Get out of here, you son of a prostitute. We don't want you in our area. We don't want you living in our town, in our city. You're not worthy to live here. Leave. And now that they're getting into trouble, they've heard about what Jephthah is capable of. And they come knocking on his door. I could just imagine when those guys showed up what he was thinking. You see, just like Tarrito, they thought they didn't need a spare. They thought they didn't need someone. They didn't need him. And then when they got their quote-unquote flat tire, they went looking for Jephthah. And in the middle of this very tragic story, a life full of rejection, we see a picture of God's grace. A reject, the son of a harlot, an outcast, a wanderer, restored to a position of honor. Not only is Jephthah welcomed back home, now he is given a place, a position above everyone else, above his half-brothers. I'm sure when he walked in and now he's the boss, his brothers are like, hey, bro, remember me, man, you know, remember... I could just imagine how they treated him. Now they made the illegitimate son their leader. And in the beginning, he, he was the judge over the tribes east of the Jordan and eventually of all of Israel. And here's the amazing thing about what God does, even to the laws of man. It was against the law, against Jewish law, for an illegitimate person to bear any public office. You see, today God is trying to show us that he is not worried about your past. He doesn't care if you were picked last like me. He doesn't care if your parents are divorced. And to quote the late Michael Jackson, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're Puerto Rican or Cuban or Icelandic. God loves you. God wants to use you. Check out this video. A lot of times we don't understand what God's doing in our life, but there's always something good that's going to come out of it. Maybe you saw her on Oprah, maybe you saw her on 2020, maybe you saw her with Letterman or with Leno. Today you're going to see And it was just two years ago that she lost her arm in a terrible shark attack. Bethany Hamilton, surfer who survived a shark attack, threw out the first pitch before tonight's Yankees game. Bethany Hamilton is here to show us how she's helping others overcome their own tragedy. But in between, we live out our dream until the 13th, where there's still a hope, a regular deal, and a self-esteem. Two years of my life, I'm depressing me, not only pray about... I started getting asked to be on a lot of... TV shows and do interviews and all that. I just see it as a chance to share my faith and my story and give people that um, are losing hope in life, give people hope for their life. Do you almost see it as a blessing in disguise? Definitely. I have a faith in Jesus Christ and I know that he has plans for my life. This is not a victim. This is a little girl that's going to take an event and turn it into a mission and actually help millions of people around the world. I just wanted to encourage people to follow their dreams and never give up and just, Jesus loves you. If you were given the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus and every media production in the world slams a microphone in your face, you can do a lot with one or two words. I think that I got my courage from Jesus Christ. He says, be strong. And God uses people like Bethany to show the world that her walk with God is normal, that it's real, and that's the only reason she does all this. Amazing. 
It's amazing how God could take something so tragic and completely revolutionize it for good. Revolutionize it for his will. This girl, very young girl, I mean, when everything pretty much is about looks, she could have given up. And now she is a professional surfer. You could go to her website, BethanyHamilton.com, and you can see her schedule on how she's going everywhere, how she's sponsored by so many different famous brands. And her number one goal is to lift the name of Jesus. When most people would have said, God, you sold me out. You rejected me. You left me on the side of the road. She chose the tragedy in her life to glorify God. And and the crazy thing, I mean, I was bawling as I was reading her testimony. Right before the accident happened, she was praying with her mother so that God could use her talent to bring glory to his name. So that God can use the popularity, the fame that she was using as a two-armed girl to bring glory to his name. And then shortly after, she was attacked by this huge shark. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians. Each time he said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. God using people who are down and out. God using people who have failed. This is the story of the Bible. Have you messed up? Is your story a story of ups and downs? And you know what? You've made the cut. Look at Abraham. Even after God called him. He messed up after God ordained him to be the head of the children of Israel. He lied because he was trying to save his own skin. Look at Moses after he was called into ministry. He murdered a man and buried him in the sand and ran for his life to the desert. We see Jonah capable of starting one of the biggest revivals ever. When the people of Nineveh responded to God and began repenting, he got discouraged, wishing that God would have killed them instead of blessing them. We see Peter, after spending three years with Jesus, watching him do miracles, having dinner, lunch, breakfast with Jesus, walking on water, constantly having access to Jesus. When he was asked if he was one of the followers of Jesus, what did he do? He denied him. See, if God can use these guys, he can use you. If you're thinking today, Mark, there's no way that God can use me. I'm so messed up right now. I'm living in sin. There's sin in my life. If you're living in sin, if you're far from God, you know what? That doesn't mean that you're hopeless. It just means that you need a fresh start. In our office, we have a ping pong table, right? And whenever we have spare time or after lunch, we'll play a little game. And I'm not the best ping pong player. And there's times when the guys in the, in the office, they're kicking my butt. And I say, after the game is done, I'm like, you know what? That one didn't count. All right. I need a fresh start. And they look at me and kind of chuckle. And that, does, that doesn't make any sense. Right, Mark? But we'll let you have a fresh start. And we play another game. See, if someone hurts you, you know what? I'm sorry. If you've had a rough life, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. It's time to change It's time to begin living the life that God wants you to live. It's time for you to begin living a life where you're used by God. See, if God took Jephthah, the son of a prostitute, the outcast, and made him the ruler over his people, over God's people, imagine what God can do with your life. And the way that you do this is doing what Jephthah did. It's doing exactly what Jephthah did. And it's the first fill-in in your outline. It's recognizing that you need Jesus There may be people that think that you're not good enough. You may think that you're hopeless at times and that God is looking at you and thinking he can't use you. You know what? God is looking at you and he's dying 
to use you. He's dying to say, you can do it. Just accept me. Just recognize that you need me in your life. The same way when my friends are killing me on the ping pong table and I ask for a fresh start, you guys need a fresh start with Jesus. The Bible says this in John 3. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You've probably tried a bunch of stuff in your life before. And let me tell you, the only one who is capable of changing your life is God. See, one of the first things that Jephthah did was that he recognized that he could not lead Israel on his own. And even though he had been successful fighting against the Ammonites, now he was representing God. And he said this in Judges 11.9, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head. We need to recognize that we need Jesus in our life. The second thing that we need to do is we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Romans 8:14 says this, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You can't be a son of God, a daughter of God if you're not led by the Spirit of God. I had someone approach me once at the church and tell me that the Holy Spirit told them that we had to start that this person was supposed to start a salsa ministry in our church. And I, I looked at the person. I said, like, chips and salsa? Right? And she's, and she's like, no, Chico. Uh, like, salsa dancing. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe that can work. We could do that through our growth groups. And guess what? I never saw this person again. That was the only time I had ever seen them at church. I wonder what God, what Holy Spirit, what thing was telling her that she had to do this. And here's the thing. The great thing is that last summer we actually had a salsa growth group where they did their Bible study and then they danced and learned how to dance and stuff. And so God, uh, I guess, did want that. But this person was just using the name of God in vain. See, before Jephthah led his people to victory and he defeated the Ammonites, verse 29 says this, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Before he had success in battle, the spirit of God was upon him. And why is it so important to be led by the spirit? Romans 8.26 is this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, there's going to be times in our life when, yeah, we're weak, we're tired, and if we're not led by the Spirit, we're just going to be washed away. We're going to be broken. I can't imagine if, if Bethany's heart was not a heart to be led by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, she probably would have given up, and she would be depressed, living, living a depressed life. But you know what? She said, I'm guided by God. God's in control of my life. See, Jephthah led his troops and was guided by the Holy Spirit. And he didn't say, I could do this by myself. No, every part of the way, God was going to be a part of it. The third thing that we need to do is we need to actively pursue God. Actively pursue God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 33. Seeking. What does seeking mean? That means that you're constantly looking for the will of God. This doesn't mean look at God. It doesn't say, hey, you know, take a peek at God. No, it says seek God, actively pursue God. Number one, recognizing that you need Jesus, that's step one. Step two, being led by the Holy Spirit, very necessary. Number three, actively pursuing God. This is the glue that makes one and two stick together. If you're not actively pursuing God, then you're going to fall apart. And I meet so many Christians that say, oh, I'm so tired or I don't feel it anymore. And it's because they're not actively pursuing God. And this is how you actively pursue God. Fill in your outline. Talking to God every 
day, praying every single day, a couple times a day. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. The second thing we need to do is study the Bible. Romans 10 says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you're like, hearing, so i got to hear the Bible. Here's the thing, when you read it, you're hearing it. But here's the other crazy thing. Um, I told you I had a two and a three-year-old, right? And like regularly, I try to have like these little church services with them. And, and we get together right before they go to sleep. We sit on this rug in their bedroom and we sing a song, like a worship song. And then after we sing a worship song, um, I, I read the Bible to them. Or they read, actually, they've learned the stories and now they tell me the Bible stories. And then after... We pray, and I ask them, can, can you give me, who do you want to pray for? And they pray for everyone. The other day, there was a guy fixing something in my house, and they prayed for that guy. Okay, whoever comes to our house, whatever, they pray for their toys. I let them pray for whatever they want. There's times that my son is like, today I want to pray for mommy's eyes. And I'm like, okay, let's pray for mommy's eyes. And here's, here's the real part of the story. About three weeks ago, I was sick, as sick as I have ever been. And I'm like, on the floor, it's like six in the morning in my bedroom, and I'm like practically crying and going, ah. And my son, all by himself, walks into the room and says, Papi, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, Papi's sick, Caleb. And he's like, don't worry, Papi. I'm going to pray for you, and God is going to make you all better. And all by himself, no one else was in the room. He put his hand on me, and he prayed, and he said, God... Thank you for Bobby. Help him be all better. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what that is? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We want to be successful. We want to actively pursue God, and we don't spend time with God. How will any relationship flourish if time is not spent in that relationship? How do you think that your relationship with God is going to be great and amazing if you don't spend time with God, if you don't study the Bible. Number three is get involved at church. Get involved at church. And, and what does get involved at church mean? It starts with this. It starts attend every week. And yes, there's the, you know, vacation or, or the special occasion, but make it a regular thing that you come to church every week. The second thing is begin serving and a lot of people think like, oh, the church is always asking people to serve. And here's the thing. It's not as much as we need people to, to work here at the church and volunteer hours. Here's the thing. When you get involved in the church, you begin to meet other people that you would never have, meet, have met before. And then let's say one day you miss. You're doing bad. You're weak in your relationship with God. I mean, you're struggling at work and you're like, oh, I don't want to serve today. Hey, I'm not going. You know what happens automatically? Your people and your team are like, they call you the next day or they send you a text and they're like, hey, what's going on? And before you know it, you're back on track. There is a system of accountability, people that love you, that care for you. And a lot of times the pastor and the staff, it doesn't even get to us because your friends that serve with you take care of your need, of your spiritual need. Another very important thing is growth groups. Join a growth group. We have opportunities for you all year to be a part of a growth group. And I witnessed something amazing last week at the baptism. I was taking pictures, minding my own business, and, and I was just observing everyone. And I saw the most randomest people supporting 
certain people that were getting baptized. And I'm like, I know they're not related. They don't look alike. They look like they're different nationalities, but they were all happy and crying and hugging each other as their friends were being baptized. I saw growth group leaders baptizing the people from their growth group. See, that is one of the most important things. And I know at first you may be like, I don't want to go to some stranger's house. You know what? That stranger will soon become even closer than some of your family. Another thing and the last thing is attend events. At our church, we're doing events all the time. Yesterday, there was a group of about 20 people standing on the corner of Dykes and Miramar, handing out free bottles of water, telling people that Jesus loved them, inviting them to church. And then a couple hours later, a group of people went down to the homestead area to help the, um, the migrant workers. And they went down there, they helped the children, they taught kids how to read, how to do math, they fed these uh, least fortunate people, and they showed them that God loves them. And like that, we have events going on all the time that you can see in your program, you can see on Facebook, and we're always informing you. Be involved in church. Get involved in church. And if you want to serve, today you have a great opportunity. On the back of your connection card, there's like eight things, eight different ways that you can get involved here at our church. Hebrews 10.25 says this, You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Does this mean that life is going to be perfect? No. Does this mean that you're not going to make mistakes? No. You know what Jephthah, he made stupid mistakes, but since he actively pursued God in the end of it all, he was remembered along with the greats of the Bible, with some of the most famous people in the Bible. In Hebrews 11, Some believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and I I tend to believe that. The Apostle Paul is saying, talking about Abraham and Moses and all the amazing things that all these different uh, uh, fathers of the church, of the faith, did for God. And then in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, he says, Do I need to give you more examples? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets through their faith, they defeated kingdoms. They did what was right, received God's promises, shut the mouths of lions. They stopped great fires and were saved from being killed with the sword. And I love this last part. They were weak, yet were made strong. You know what? There's some of us here that are probably weak today. And God is saying, you were weak, I will make you strong. And today you have a decision to make. Today you have a decision to make. Are you going to allow the things of the past to control your life? Are you going to allow the terrible things that happened in the past to determine who you will be? Or are you going to say enough is enough? See, most people spend their entire life trying to change what happened in the past. Trying to correct things that happened in the past. Let me tell you something. You can't change the past. What you can do is spend the rest of your life trying to make the future amazing. Trying to make sure that the way that you live your life from now on is a life that honors God. Is a life that's making wise choices. Is a life that's living for Jesus. That is what you have control to do. To say, God, I dishonored you with, my, with, with the way I lived before. But today, I want to make a crossroads in my life and I am going to live for you. I'm going to accept your forgiveness, and I am going to live for you. You see, in seventh grade, I, I had a decision to make um, after I got picked last to play kickball. 
And it was either I'm going to accept the fact that I was a loser and I was picked last. Or I was going to do something about it. And I knew that there was no way that I was going to look like some of the kids in my school. I knew that there was no way that I could be as athletic as some of those kids. But I had a decision to make. Am I going to accept this or do something about it? And you know what I decided? Is that I was never going to be picked last again. And the only thing that I could try to control is that when we were going to play kickball, that I was going to be the captain of the team. And that I was going to be in charge. And I was the one that was going to pick the people. And no, I wasn't going to be the, the best player. And I actually, we had a kickball event a couple of months ago. And guess who was the captain of one of the teams? Me. I grabbed the ball right before I knew the game was going to start. And I said, all right, I'm a captain and you're a captain. And I just wanted to make sure there's people from the church, people that see me playing guitar. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't picked last. And today, you have the same choice to make. Are you going to allow the past to control you? Are you going to allow people's opinions to control you? Or are you going to give your life to God and say, God, you are in charge of my life. I give you control of my life, regardless of what I'm capable of doing. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and, uh, and we're going to sing a song, a song that I love. And what I love about the song is that it's part of a scripture is in there, and it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we're going to sing that song, and I'm not going to invite everyone to stand up. I'm going to invite the people that are ready to do whatever it takes to honor God to stand up. If you're ready to say, I forget my past, I reject the words that were spoken to me. God, these scars, these things that wounded me, I offer them up to you. If you're ready to tell God, God, I am ready to be used by you. I want to be used by you. I want you to erase the pain in my life. Then I want to invite you to stand up and claim this song as your prayer to God today. I want you to repeat these words with me. Say, if our God is for us, if our God is for us, who could ever stop us? If our God is for us, then what could stand against us? What could stand against me? What could stand against my weakness? What could stand against my past? What could stand against whatever type of physical ailment you could have? Nothing could stand against you. And a lot of times we live lives defeated and sad and depressed. It's because we chose to live that type of life. Yes, we've had terrible things that have happened to us, maybe out of your control. But you have the opportunity to take a step and say, I'm not going to allow this to define who I am. I'm not going to allow this terrible thing that happened to me, this upbringing like Jeff, the son of a prostitute. He had no control over that. It was his reality. But he decided to say, God, you will guide me. God, I will serve you regardless of my past. And you know what God did? He ended up thousands and thousands of years later in the New Testament in the hall of faith as a man that what he did was so big that Paul said I don't have time to talk about him that's how much he did he was probably like running out of ink or his feather was breaking as he was writing this letter to the Hebrews I believe that that could be our story I believe that can be your story today if you have the faith to allow God to guide you and dear God we come before you right now and we thank you for that we thank you for that promise. And Lord, I pray for every single person that didn't stand up because they liked the song, 
But they stood up because they were ready. They were ready for that fresh start. God, they were ready to say goodbye to the things of the past and the scars of the past that have defined us. And today, I am starting fresh. Lord, I know that there are leaders, people that some of us in this room look up to, that we're still holding on to baggage that today they offered it up to you. God, I pray for those that for the very first time recognized you, Jesus, as their Savior. I pray that you would bless them and prosper them in their walk with you. Help us have an amazing day today. We believe that you are going to revolutionize our lives. In your name we pray and we give you thanks. Amen.